The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. first. Father, we want to thank you for your glorious presence in this place. We want to thank you for every person who is here. We thank you, Lord, that you love them, that you care for them, that you are for them, not against them. We thank you, Lord, that you are our master, our guide, our shepherd, our teacher. You are the lover of our souls and the lifter of our heads. And Father, as we receive your word this morning, speak into our hearts. Make your word pertinent to where we are, to the circumstances that we're going through, and let your name be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. The title of this message is God Speaks to Job. God Speaks to Job. And as I said, we've been looking at the story of Job, and in that story we've discovered this. This is how God described Job. There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Now that's some testimony to be given. And that is what God said of his servant Job. But the interesting thing is, he said that to Satan. He used those words about Job. God used those words to Satan. Because Satan had come into the presence of God in heaven. And God was actually speaking to him. But of course, as he says to, uh, to Satan, and God says, have you considered my servant Job? This is what he is like. Satan's response was like this. Well, of course he's like that. You keep blessing him. You give him good health. You give him lots of things. You've given him a great life. Anybody with a great life, no problems. Of course they're going to behave like that. But you take it away, and then you see. He'll curse you to your face. So God says to Satan, very well. You can touch his life. And as we have seen, and certainly if you were to read in the book of Job, and firstly, the first few chapters cover most of this information, you will see what happened. Because God did allow Satan to touch Job's possessions and family. And having had them all stolen away by Satan, Satan discovered that actually the result that he was expecting hadn't occurred because Job maintained his integrity before God. In fact, Job was heard to say, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And this is after disaster had struck him. But God also allowed Satan to touch uh, Job's health, but he wasn't allowed to take away his life. Now all of this story and all of this happening takes place in heaven. So it's happening in the spiritual realm where the business, as it were, of the universe was being conducted. And as I say, that's all recorded in the first two chapters of Job. But if that's happening up there, then Job is down here. He's on earth. So I want to consider what is going on in the physical realm. And in the physical realm where Job is, we find a man who is confused and in the midst of immense suffering. When we talk about the fact that he'd lost his possessions, he'd lost, first of all, his children. 
He had ten children, seven sons and three daughters, and they had been killed. He had lost all of his sheep, his camels, his cattle, his donkeys, and if you like, that's all of his wealth, all of his livelihood. In our terms, it's your bank account has just run dry completely. Your purse is empty, your wallet is finished, your credit cards have melted, there's nothing. Your Apple Pay is not working, there's nothing there to support anything financially your wealth has gone. And that's what has happened to it. And in the midst of this, to add to his encouragement, his wife gives him these words, Job, she says, curse God and, go and die. In other words, give up. Give up, because that's the position you've come to. On top of all of that, Job's health had been shot to pieces. He was now sitting and it was covered from head to toe in painful sores. But you know, perhaps the worst thing, and these are bad things, not just bad, they're beyond our comprehension that they could happen to us, for instance. But probably worse than those things was that Job didn't understand why any of this had taken place. Why has this happened to me? Was the cry from himself. Now, because we have read or because we have already been through the first few chapters of the book of Job, we do know why these things happened. Because we've already read about the happenings in the spiritual realm. We've already read how God had said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? We've already seen that God allowed Satan to have influence in Job's life, but he wasn't allowed to take his life. And we've already seen the outworking of that interaction that happened in the spiritual realm. But for Job... He didn't know. And so what we find here on earth is that Job is frustrated. Job believes he is innocent. And he feels that he's being unfairly treated by God. Do we ever feel like that? We do. In truth, there are times when, oh, we've just got a sickness or something's happened in the office and that's just everyday life. And at other times we think, this isn't fair. Why am I having to put up with this? How long is this going to go on for? Because you reach a point, and then suddenly as you go over that point, it's like, I'm not accepting this anymore. Why is this happening to me? And you can imagine, that's a little bit how Job was feeling. Frustrated because he felt, I'm innocent. I haven't done anything to bring this on me. Why is this happening? He feels he's being unfairly treated by God. And his conclusion, I suppose the best that his conclusion could be is this. God, what are you doing? Answer me. And there's a cry from him to say, I need to find out what's going on. At worst, he's saying this. God, you are unjust. You are unfair. That's what you're like. Job has some friends who come to visit him, who come to comfort him, who come to speak to him in the midst of his difficulties. And their take, his first three friends, their take is this. Job, you present yourself as a, as a good guy, as an upright, as a moral man. Certainly, that's how you present yourself. But they're sort of like this, well, we've got to be upfront about this, Job. Because to be quite honest, if bad things are happening, then it must be because you have sinned. So therefore, Job, and their counsel to him was this. Job, whether you like it or not, somewhere there's sin in your life. And that is the reason that these bad things have happened to you. They have happened 
because somewhere you have sinned. Job had another friend who came to see him, Elihu. And Job, he, he, Elihu emphasizes to Job, he says that, no, no, God himself can't be unjust. God is always fair. He always acts with justice, with fairness. Maybe this has happened to you so that it's preparing you for something that's yet to happen in your life, strengthening you, enabling you to face up to something that is yet to come. Well, all of these things were still led to this position. Job doesn't understand what's going on. For me, personally, I think when I read the book, I can understand this. I can understand that God has allowed <coughs> Satan to do this work on Job. I can understand that Job doesn't understand what's going on. He's struggling. He's struggling to maintain his position before God, his faith before God. He's struggling because God, and this is something that I think we can all identify with at times, God is remaining annoyingly silent. Do you ever get that situation? I think we do. We all want to be in a place where we just say like, God, exactly what's happening here? And hopefully get an answer. But often, and particularly when we're going through difficult circumstances, we're looking up to heaven, and it's like the telephone line's been cut. And, and we feel within ourselves, what's the matter? What's going on? Why won't you answer me? There's almost that sense of our arms going up to heaven and shaking at him because we want to understand. And when we think of suffering here on earth, there are many situations that we can refer to, and we find ourselves falling into Job's basic position which is what on earth is going on? God, why have you allowed this to happen? Job was looking for God, but he didn't seem to be able to find him anywhere. It's hard, because we know that God had allowed Satan to test Job. And when we think about it, if God was allowing Satan to test Job, then this had to be a true test. And a true test is a situation where God is allowing Job to stand there by his own faith, trusting in God, and God, as it were, has seemingly removed himself from the circumstances. It had to be a true test. And so there is some understanding of why we can see that God would have seemingly withdrawn. Let me just underline this. God can seem to withdraw, but he never leaves us. He's promised to never leave us, to never forsake us. But that doesn't mean that there are times when it seems like he's distant from us. He doesn't seem to answer, because there are times like that. And maybe some of those times... It's because we ourselves are going through testings and trials from God. Anyway, this is how Job expressed how he was feeling. And I'm reading from Job 23, verses 3 to 9. If only I knew where to find God, I would go to his court. I would lay out my case and present my arguments. Then I would listen to his reply and understand what he says to me. Would he use his great power to argue with me? No. He would give me a fair hearing. Honest people can reason with him, so I would be forever acquitted by my judge. I go east, but he's not there. I go west, but I cannot find him. I do not see him in the north, for he is hidden. I look 
to the south, but he is concealed. That's how Job was feeling as far as God had been concerned. Now, having been seeking for God and wrestling to understand where he was, we break in at the end of Job when God himself finally begins to speak. And this is what he says, and I'm reading from Job 38. So God speaks to Job. Then it says, Then the Lord answered Job out of a storm. He said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you will answer me. It's like God wanted to encounter Job with a sense of his awesome majesty and power. And so he speaks out of a storm. Now, it's not the first time in scriptures that we see God speaking out of storms. When God came and that Moses came with the Ten Commandments, Mount Sinai was surrounded with fire and smoke and there was thunder and there was this burst of God's voice coming out of this storm of the mountain. And there was great fear and awe as God spoke. You may also remember the time when Elijah was running from Jezebel and he went to Mount Horeb and there on that mountain, which is another name incidentally for Mount Sinai, there on that mountain, God speaks to him out of a storm, but then there was also a still, quiet voice that came to him. So God's speaking to a storm and it's funny, God is speaking from this storm into Job's storm. I wonder if it's like for like. You're in a bit of a turmoil, I'm going to speak to you out of a turmoil. But God speaks to him and he is exhibiting his majesty, his glory from this power. Who darkens my counsel? Don't you get an understanding of suddenly God is becoming who he really is? He's God. He's awesome. (coughs) Who is this that darkens my counsel? It's as if God is saying to Job, who are you? to pretend to speak of the deep things of God and about the administration of my justice when in truth you really don't quite comprehend them. That's what he's saying. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me, God says. So he says, for now, for a moment, let me speak to you and you can answer me. And this is what he starts to say, Job 38 verse 4. And I'm going to read several verses. Where were you, he says to Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundation and who laid its cornerstone? And in verse 8, who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst forth from the womb? Verse 10, for I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no further you will come. Here, your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear? And cause the dawn to arise in the east. You notice that God is addressing Job about issues of creation. And we need to remember this. Fundamentally, we need to remember this. God is the only uncreated one. It's a significant. God is the only uncreated one. Everybody else, all of us here, we were created 
by him and for him. But God has always been in existence. He has no beginning. He has no end. And there is something that we're encountering here and that Job was encountering is that suddenly you get a little veil drawn back of the majesty and the glory and the greatness of God. And yet here on earth, our cry is saying, I don't understand. I don't understand. And the truth is, you're right. You don't understand. And it's difficult for us to say, I don't understand. And it's difficult for us to understand God because we're experiencing things that if we were God, I wouldn't let this happen. I wouldn't cause that to happen. Everybody would be having a lovely life. Every day would be like a birthday. We'd have cake all the time. We'd have... But we know that when we actually go down that road, and if that was the road we were to go down, actually life wouldn't be as great as we thought it would be. It's been a whole year of having birthday cake every day. Just like the children of Israel. We don't want any more of this manna. We want to have something. We've always got to find something to moan about. There's something about us and in our sinful state which we can't fully comprehend or understand or know the purposes of God. But he wants to declare who he is so that we can understand more about him. And so as he questions Job, he's starting to say, listen, Are you the one who calls forth the morning? Which of us can call forth morning or night? Oh, but it just happens, doesn't it? Listen, I thought of this once. I thought, if there's ever a bet you could lay that you knew you could get good, you know, that you could get, you were going to win, it was that day is going to follow night. We can bet on that. But the thing is, nobody will give us odds. But you see, the truth is, we take these things for granted. But who is it who calls forth the morning? Who is it who has put the limit on the seas? And we know, well, hang on, in some places the sea is eroding the coast. What's all that about? I don't know. But I know a man who does. And that's the situation we're in. When we've been looking at this book and we're trying to understand Job, we're trying to understand things that God is not going to reveal. We already know with Job because we know what happened in heaven. Job wasn't understanding what had gone on in heaven. Job didn't know that God had been saying to Satan, have you considered my servant? Have you considered what he's like? Have you considered how upright he is? And there's this argument. Why did God want to do that? Why did God cause that to happen? I don't know, but he had a purpose. What we see is it being outworked on the earth. Confusion, pain, suffering, difficulty. We see those things happening and our cry like Job's is what is going on? Where are you God? Why are you hiding yourself? And in the midst of some of the turmoil of our lives, we ask exactly the same questions because we know how Job is feeling. Where are you God? And yet God is still there. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. He is there but I can't see you. You seem to be so distant, but he's not gone away and he hadn't gone away from Job. But now he's revealing his majesty. Now he is showing to Job exactly what he is like and he is showing it through creation. Let me encourage you to get hold of everything you can about the knowledge of God through creation. 
Why? Because God has said it is through creation that, his will, that the knowledge of himself will be made known. Let me read to you Romans 1 verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Can you hear that? Have been clearly seen. Being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. But we find many people who have lots of excuses. We find many people who are confused. Many people who are telling that we're believing the wrong thing. But God is saying, listen, keep your eyes on creation. Because it's in creation you find the complexity of him. It always amazes me. I see Attenborough, and we know that Attenborough is not a godly man. He doesn't believe in these things. And he goes out of his way to tell us that he doesn't believe in these things. But every time I look at his programs, I'm amazed at God. Because what he tells me is the wonder of creation. He tells me of how this particular animal only lives in this place or this particular fish is going back to this place and they've commuted thousands of miles across the globe just to come here to lay their eggs of where they themselves were born. And he's saying like, wow. You know, we have one of those plants, amaryllis plants from Christmas. I expect many of you have them probably because we've given out a few in our time as well. But they're amazing because you, you put it on the side at home and then you watch this plant grow. And suddenly, out of the pot, this great big stick comes. But what amazes me, up comes the stem, and in our case, there were four flowers. And you watch them and they unfold, go into the direction they need to go in. And they open in the order that they need to open in. And then we had a second uh, stem come up. And it was just at a different height from the first one. So the second set of flowers didn't interfere with the first set of flowers. And you're thinking, that's, that's like a computer program. <laughs> Who's done that? In heaven, God was trying to express to Job some of this wisdom, which is beyond our comprehension and our understanding. He was trying to express these things to him. God continues to Job, Job 38 verse 19. Where does light come from? And where does darkness go? Can you take each to its home? Do you know how to get there? But of course you know these things. For you were born before it was all created. So you are very experienced. God is being slightly sarcastic, isn't he? But of course you know. You understand these. You understand about light and darkness and where it lives. And don't you feel just like Job? Actually, no, I don't. And all of those things that we took for granted... Suddenly they're being put to us and we're thinking like, oh my goodness. I never thought about that. Well, I have been to the seaside. I've thought about the, the sea coming in. I, I've, I've never realized why it comes to that point and then it goes back out again. I, I, because God has decreed it. And you know what? Our minds find some of these things difficult to take in. But God wants to express to us, listen, I want to go beyond your level of thinking, what's influenced you, the things that have been said, the TV programs that have had sway upon your mind. You can't believe that. You can't believe this. I want you to know that I created the heavens and the earth and that I am over all things, that I am the I am, the ever-existent one. God goes on to say to Job in verse 22, have you visited the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of hail? Just imagine what that's like. You know, we talk about global warming. Has God got this sort of like, okay, we're going to need a lot this week. He's got, you know, we're going to use up the whole of room 202. 
We're going to get all that snow out. And then he's going to go, come on, we need, oh no, we need the extra, come on. And God's calling forth the snow and the hail because he knows where it's kept and he knows how to make it and he will send it upon us so that when it comes, we suddenly start thinking, oh my goodness, what's happened? We can't get to work. What do we do? And it's like he wakes us up to say, I am in control, even though you thought you were. I was reminded the other day, I don't know what we were quite talking about, but it caused me to remember the ash cloud. Do you remember the ash cloud that was in Iceland? So suddenly the ash cloud came. What happened? All of the uh, northern hemisphere flights stop overnight. So what we think is like terrorists, or sometimes terrorists or drones these days can close an airport or, or two airports, or there can be a delay in your flight if you're going to Nigeria. Yes, uh, I heard about that. We experience those things, but God says, if I need to do something, I can do it like that. He is powerful. He is mighty. And why do we need to get hold of that? Because the more we get hold of the understanding of who God is, we start to say, maybe he can help me. Maybe his power is greater than my circumstances. Maybe his authority is what I can plug into. There was a woman who had an issue of blood. And when she realized that this man, Jesus, is the one that I need, she went to him and received her healing like that. You see, that's why we talk about keeping our eyes on Jesus, keeping our knowledge and our understanding on God, because when we start to see who he is for who he is, not for who we have made him, not some picture, some image, some icon, which in its glory and in its goldness can represent something of God, but when we start to see who God is, he is creator and sustainer of all things. He is the mighty one. When we start to see his universe and how he upholds all things by the power of his word, we start to understand it's not that my problems are insignificant, but that his power is greater than my problems. And that's the situation. Now let's just plug back into Job. You see, with that knowledge, Job is still thinking like, yeah, but why is all this happening to me? We still see that. And don't we understand that here? Haven't we experienced, aren't we experiencing that now? Many of you are. This is not a, oh, I remember that, or that's a past tense situation. We're talking about feeling like Job, knowing what Job was going through right now. I feel confused. I don't understand. I don't know how to get out of this. Keep your eyes fixed upon the understanding of who the Almighty One is because He is able to deliver you and able to save you to the uttermost. God, God, oh, there's another one here. Do you know the laws of the universe? Can you put them to regulate the earth? Nope. I don't. Many of our scientists will tell you that they do know. But fortunately, we're not putting them in charge of everything because they know in part, but he knows fully. And that's a difference. Then in uh, chapter 40, then the Lord said to Job, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? 
You are God's critic, but do you have the answers? I just put myself in that thing like, no, okay, I've heard enough. <laughs> I've understood that I, I'm at my limits here. You see, Job had been complaining because he wasn't understanding. And it's true, Job did want to know. He wanted to know the answer to why he was suffering. And we understand suffering and we want to understand why we are suffering and why we are going through things. But now we can see for Job, he doesn't get an answer to those questions. And this is the mystery of this book. It doesn't answer that question. What it does do is to try to say, whatever the situation you're in, you need to lift up your eyes and look to him. Because he is the one who can help you. He is the one who can deliver you. Job replies to God. He says, I am nothing. How can I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I've said too much already. I think you probably have. God, meanwhile, responds with more questions. Job 40, verses 7 and 8, he comes again. Brace yourself like a man. I think, well, why does he say brace yourself like a man? I guess it's that sense of like, okay, you need to stand because you're going to hear some stuff that's tough. You're going to hear some stuff that's not easy to take on board. So hold on. Get a grip. If you're hearing this this morning and it's affecting you, hold on to the sides of the seat. Get a grip. Brace yourself like a man. And God comes back. Will you, to Job, will you discredit my justice and condemn me just to prove that you are right? Will you talk about me as if I am unjust? Just because you're trying to help yourself understand a situation? Now, we know how we'd like to answer that. Well, yes, I am, because I really don't understand. And why is all this happening to me? But when we gain an understanding of him, it's like everything else doesn't matter. Everything else falls quiet. And we find Job's final response in chapter 42. Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It's I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. We don't understand everything that goes on. We don't. But we must look to God and try to find out with him. If you were reading the book of Job, you'd find that uh, God talks about Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, the three friends, and he gets, they get a rebuke from God because he talk, they'd been talking rubbish. It wasn't because Job had sinned that this had happened to him. And you know, when we come to the New Testament, we see a situation where there was a man born blind. And the disciples asked Jesus, who has sinned, this man or his parents? Using exactly, well, somebody must have done something wrong for this to have happened. And Jesus' answer was, no, they haven't sinned. But this happened because God wants to display his glory. 
Now, it's interesting because some other people that Jesus healed, he actually said to them, go and sin no more. So we can actually see that it's true to say that if we live a life, a sinful life, deliberately, and we do some things, they can impact us, and sickness can be one of those results. But equally so, just because we're suffering does not necessarily mean that we have been walking in sin. And that's what the Bible teaches. And Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, they were rebuked by God for, for that. Look, as we come to the end of this, and Dan, the guys, come up. There's four things. I've got four things for us to remember, very simple things. Firstly, the, the simplest and the one that I just want everybody to go home with is this. God is supreme. God is supreme. He is over all. He is the great I am. He is the one who is above every other. And we need to keep remembering that. In the midst of our difficulties and the difficulties that we've got which differ one to another, they may have similar themes, sickness, finances, relationships. They may have similar themes, but God is over them all. I'm not asking you to understand because for many of us, our cry is the same as Job. I don't understand. I don't understand. And we want that non-understanding answered. But God, I think, is trying to say to us, listen, can you just lay that aside and contemplate me? Contemplate who I am. Get hold of who I am so that you can walk through this. God is supreme. Secondly, understanding versus trust. We want to understand. Everything. That's the way of our life. It's the way of our society. It's the way of our culture. We want to understand. We want to understand how things work. We want to understand how things stop working. We want to understand everything there is to know about life and all things that go with it. But God wants us to trust. There's a difference there. Understanding, trust. Understanding keeps demanding. We come to a point where we do not understand. So what do we do when we don't understand? We have to move to trust. And this is the place that he wants to hold us in. Lord, I don't like what's going on, but I choose to trust in who you are. Not understanding. We have to admit we do not understand. Verse, Psalm 46, verse 10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. In the midst of our trials, we come back to that position. Third point, when God seems to have disappeared, remember that he is always present. When he seems to have disappeared. And the reason I'm saying these things is, oh, it, when we're not going through stuff, of course that makes sense. <laughs> of course it makes sense. I know he said, never will I leave you. I know he said that. Yes, but when you're going through the rubbish and it's really difficult, your cry is, Lord, where are you? Where are you? But I want to remind us, in the midst of the difficulty, even though God seems to have disappeared, he never has because he has promised to be with us. And lastly, just to encourage us, because Job is a bit of a difficult book, but let's just get to the very end of the book. Let's finish it. And the encouragement is this. The end of Job's life was blessed far more than in the beginning. God gave him back 
ten children, seven sons, three daughters. His daughters were the most beautiful daughters in the land. And he received twice as many cattle and sheep and camels and all that sort of stuff. And you look, the numbers are there. Like he had 7,000 at the beginning. Now he's got 14,000. God gave him back twice as much. He was blessed more in the end than at the beginning. That's the story of this man, Job. But the journey he walks in is a journey that we walk in. It is a journey of challenge. It's a journey of trial. It's a journey of testing. It's a journey of confusion. We don't know what's been happening in the heavenly courts. But what we need to do is to try to keep away from seeking just to understand, but to come to a place where we're putting our faith and trust in him that he who knows all things has the power to carry us through. Amen.